Good morning, everybody. And Good morning. Welcome uh, to the, any viewers that we have, Christian Coffee Time or otherwise. Nice to have you come into the uh, broadcasts and the, the service here and to join in with us as we study the book of Hebrews. We're up to chapter uh, 12. We're going to pick, pick it up at verse 18. We're going to have a word of prayer first of all, and then we'll continue on. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we give thanks, Lord. As we come to your word, Lord, we understand we are standing upon holy ground here. The words of God we're going to look at. And Lord, what a thing it is that, uh, that we would be able to look at your words that you've given to us, Lord, for our instruction and edification and comfort and all these things. We ask that you be glorified in and through this time, Lord. And we thank you now. We thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, <clears throat> what we did last week was we're looking at Hebrews 12 and uh, we don't have to go right back to the beginning and, and, and repeat the uh, introduction that we have uh, for the book and such. The argument is going forth to, to, to some of the Hebrews at that time in the first century in the 60s, we believe it is, in the mid-60s there. Um, there was a gathering uh, of Hebrews. We don't know how many people are, are involved here. We don't know how many that this is addressed to. But we had a, a glimpse of that back in the book of Acts. If you remember, we talked about um, the a number of priests that were following the law and believing in Jesus. And there was, uh, I think it said, thousands of Jews that are zealous for the law and yet believe. So there could be thousands of them. There was a problem there for some that they had one foot in the law and one foot in the gospel kind of thing, and that doesn't mix. Perhaps this is the group that's being um, addressed here, or perhaps this is some that were ones being addressed are those that are under persecution of the day in the mid-60s. It was tremendous persecution upon uh, believers. In fact, at one point under Nero that Christianity became uh, illegal. And it could have been that. So we don't really know. Um, at least I don't know. Maybe you know and you can tell me afterwards. That'd be fine. Um, so we, chapter 12, we get up to there and he's still um, showing them and arguing. Uh, that's not the right word to use, arguing. Uh, the Lord's not arguing. He's just pre presenting such a case. Such a case for going on and trusting in Jesus Christ by faith as opposed to going back to the old ways uh, as some wanted to go back to Judaism and such. They, were, they didn't want to go ahead. Um, and the other con the controversy here is that um, some people get looking at these things and say, see, people are, you can't lose your salvation. No, you can't. If God declares you justified, God declares something to be. God says, I will declare you justified through faith in Jesus Christ, my son, who can undo that? Amen. Nobody can undo that. In fact, he tells us in Romans chapter 8, the end of that, that neither in a list of things that can remove us from the love of Christ. It's impossible. It can't be. What's taking place here is that there is a thing whereby the Spirit of God came upon some of these ones and he enlightens the mind and shows people the things of Christ and, and the, the individual's a sinner and the in, individual at that time must respond to the gospel positively and accept Christ, accept Christ in, in, their, in their heart to be saved. These ones had been illuminated. If they were saved, we would not have the book of Hebrews and you wouldn't have that warning back in chapter 3, verse 12. It wouldn't be there. Okay, uh, A lot of people don't understand that, that salvation isn't... Uh, something to fiddle with. It's something, it's, it's of the heart. 
Okay, Romans 10, uh, um, 9, 10, 11 in that area and, and other places. So we see that, and that's fundamental. And he um, said in chapter 6, he says, let us leave the foundational stuff and go on to some of the deeper things. This is some of the deeper things in that Jesus Christ is our, uh, uh, he, he's pleading our case. That's not the way you write, that's out of one of our hymns, isn't it? He's our, uh, um, our high priest in heaven. He's an, our mediator, our advocate in heaven. And why would you want to go back to something that uh, is lesser and so on and so forth? And here we looked at last week in chapter 11, the, some call the Westminster Abbey of the Bible, and that were all the uh, um, uh, big name people and fan, um, where, what do you call them? I can't think of the name anyway. A lot of um, people are buried that were, you know, high profile type people and such like that. And we have here some high profile people like Abraham and Moses and and Jacob and Joseph and on and on and the Lord is bringing out showing some of the things that they went through and then he gets down to the last bit he talks about Gideon and Barak and Samson and some others and then he mentions the word others he's just saying there's just so many that had a testimony for God that they stood their ground they had not received the promise of the promises of of the things of heaven and such, but upon this earth they just stood for the Lord and stood for the Lord. Uh, some received their dead to life again. Some were stoned. Some were sawn asunder. And they would not recant. And they would not turn away. And they would keep on with the Lord. Some were burned at the stake and so on and so forth. And they would not give up. They would stand for the Lord. He's saying you need these ones. You need to come ahead in faith and belief and take your stand. And it would be difficult, folks. It would be difficult if it was the persecutions of those days, if all of society and the government says that what you're doing is illegal. And they come and take your property. And you're kicked out and you don't have a place to live. Okay? And you're just scrounging for food. Okay? That's a terrible picture. That'll separate the men from the boys in a sense, you know what I mean? But it's that's difficult. What what do we have today? Um, we don't have, you might get a door slammed in your face or something like that. But anyway, he, he shows that and he, he talks about in the first part of chapter 12 about the Lord Jesus and the things that he underwent on the cross. And he says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. What's your excuse? And... Um, oh, I was referring to chapter 11 back there. Went back too far. And, uh, and we talked about chastening, and where God chastens all that he receives. And that word chastening, we get the idea often that it's, it means like a punishment, that we think of a punishment for sin. And uh, Jesus was punished for my sins and yours. God doesn't punish us for sins. He'll correct us. But in that word of uh, uh, chastisement, which is mentioned quite a few times there, it has the idea of training children. Training by word and training by circumstances. Things coming our way that are difficult. I talked to somebody this week and I forget what it was. It was, it was oh, it was a terrible, terrible thing. That perhaps the Lord's just trying to teach you something. Maybe. Eh? No chastening for the present seems uh, to be 
joyous, etc. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down the feeble knees. And he says, you get going and make straight paths. And then he says, and follow peace, which means to pursue, not just to kind of follow along behind. You pursue peace. Like I said last week, you don't get anything else out of this. Get that. To pursue. For us as believers, pursue peace. That will do away with all of the misunderstandings. That will do away with all the arguments, all the objections, all those things that we find that there's, uh, even amongst God's people. Okay? And pursue holiness, looking diligently. Then there's three lest. Lest any man fail. Lest any root of bitterness spring up. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. And so on and so forth. Now we get down to verse 18. This is where we're at. And he says, he's going to compare two things here. Um, he was saying that God is uh, 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 trying to draw these ones and convince them that you need to, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, For ye have not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words. Basically what he's doing here is taking them back and reminding them of uh, Mount Sinai. Now, if you're writing things down, and I say you make sure you have some <laughs> writing material and a pen and a pencil, because we often refer to other things in the Bible, because the Bible explains itself back and forth, doesn't it? Um, he's taken this from Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 to 13. That's Exodus 19, 10 to 13. You read about that, or Moses goes up on the mountain. Okay, This is Sinai. And up on the mountain, God was going to come up on the mountain, and God came down upon the mountain, and it was fiery, and the mountain turned black on the top, and stuff like this, and nobody was allowed to come close. And even if an animal came up, they would uh, um, uh, kill the animal. You weren't, nobody's allowed to touch, and it was fearful. And the voice of God was there giving Moses. It says here, um, verse 21, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. So what he's doing here is saying is showing um, an aspect of God and when God met with them and brought the law and such, okay? Um, verse 19, And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard and treated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. People said, enough, we, we can't take this. We imagine God's voice booming out and the people say, this is, this is too much. I don't know if it was that they, not that they couldn't keep all those things, or that it's just a fearful thing to have the voice of God right there at that time, perhaps. And, and the fearfulness of the mountain. So you get this. This is one of those little paragraphs. When you study your Bible, you find out, you look at the, uh, 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 the um, oh, God, I can't think of the word. Uh, in the paragraph, the, the topic okay, that he's speaking of, and he's taking this little bit from verse 18 to verse 21 is a little chunk in itself, okay, it's about Mount Sinai, he says, you haven't come to Mount Sinai, he says, this isn't about Sinai, now what was Sinai all about, what was some of the things that you see about Mount Sinai, if you go back and read in Exodus, we read a few things there, in these few verses before us, fear and terror was before the people and upon the people, as God came down upon that mountain, and Moses was shaken too, okay, it tells us that Moses was, was, was shaken terribly, Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That's an aspect of God, eh? 
You don't see that today much of people fearing God, do you? You don't, don't see that. You see, uh, it used to be a thing when people have a, a stickers that uh, said, uh, no fear. You remember those things? Mm-hmm. We had, you remember that? Got, my boys had, a, had some dirt bikes we lived on the reserve, and one of the helmets had that sticker, no fear. I said, well, that's no good. So I took, I took the F off and have no ear. <laughs> I said, you better have some fear. And he said, I'm fear of God, you know. That's what people need. That's what this old world needs. They're trying to do things in this old world here, trying to bring in a, 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 a Tower of Babel kind of thing, all the nations together. And God says, that's not what I said. Anyways, people need to fear God. They need to quake before Him. Let me get this on here. That's where it belongs there. Okay. So we have that bit right there from verse 18 to 21. It's all about Sinai. It's about the law. It's about fear. It's about terror. Now remember, they were wanting to go back to the law. And he says, what are you going back there? You're going back to Sinai. He said, don't go back there. Now, on the opposite side of the scale here is verse 22 to 24. He says, and it's about another mountain, a different mountain. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, or Sion right there. And then he mentions uh, about eight different things here. He says, you're not coming, you don't need to go back to that, and you're not coming to that, that's not what it's about, you're coming to Mount Sion. Now what's that all about? And he tells us, unto the city of the living God. And if you go back in the Old Testament, you'll see that God promises to Abraham and different ones, and he tells us that back in Hebrews, the last chapter in that, we just looked at that. One of the promises is that that place where we will live with God. In Revelation, at the end of the book, you see the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. To the earth. Heaven comes down to earth. God's going to do, renovate this earth. And it's going to be renewed. And heaven's going to come right down there. And God's going to be there. We're going to dwell right there with Him. We have that enduring city. That's our place. It's one of the promises that God has given to the believer. You're going to live with me and he has this city that's made. The Bible is the word of God, remember? We're just singing about that. It says, well, I have, I, have trouble, I have trouble grasping that in my mind. Well, perhaps, yeah. Some, some of the things that uh, God says are uh, maybe difficult to grasp. But it's going to happen just like that. But look what he says um, in contrast to uh, the fear and terror of Sinai. We have the grace and mercy of Zion. Okay, you come unto Zion, unto the city of the living God, the city of the living God. He's alive, and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. What does that word "innumerable" mean? You think? It means you can't count them. It's kind of like the stars. There's so many angels, eh? So many angels. And beside angels, there's seraphims and cherubims, and there's other creatures we see in the book of Revelation. All kinds of things and creatures and beings that we don't know anything about, never seen and such. It's going to be an amazing thing, folks. The innumerable company of angels to the general assembly. That's all the believers together are going to be there. Not one is going to be left out. Not one is going to be left out. They're all going to be there. You know, I, 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 the simple little things in my mind for as far as little pictures and such. Um, I have with my uh, uh, breakfast, I have oatmeal every morning. 
and I take a half a cup of blueberries and I put in there and mix with that. And uh, sometimes I get near the bottom of the bag and pour it out. I pour it out into a glass and measure it out. And, and then, oh, there's one stuck in the bottom. I can't leave that one there. You know why? Because it just reminds me of the Lord. No, even that little one that's stuck. Come on, you get out there. I'm not leaving any behind. You say, you're silly. i got a small little mind, you see. That, that's something that helps me think about that. I'm that little blueberry stuck behind. Because you're not me. You're not going to be left behind. And no one's going to be left behind. Okay, None of God's people, none that trust in Christ will be left behind. Okay? Silly little illustration. It helps me. I don't know if it helps you or not. To the general assembly and church. That is the word ecclesia, the word church, means a called out assembly. It means we're called out from the world to be different, to be separate, to be His. Not to be that we are His. Okay? And the church of the firstborn, referring to the Lord Himself which are written in heaven. Our names are written down in heaven. What do you suppose the ink is? Somebody said it's the blood of Christ. Mm. It could be. God has a book. And the names of all those that are saved is written down in it. The way over to Revelation chapter 20, and I call it one of the most um, terrifying uh, sayings in the Bible. And that all are going to be brought up before Jesus Christ the judge at some point. And they're going to search through the books and look for, everybody's going to come up and look for the names. And them that are not saved, the words, not found written. And those poor people will be cast out into the lake of fire. Now, sometimes we talk about these things, and one guy said that don't ever uh, talk about hell without a tear in your eye. And we need to ask the Lord to help us with that. We were watching a thing the other day. Matt and I, Matt was showing me something on the on YouTube. The people from different parts of the world, uh, the tribal people, and they try different things on them. They try like they're eating, uh, maybe it might be ice cream, or one time with apple pie. They've never had these things. These are tribal people. They're very, very uh, primitive. And they bring them in and they uh, they were showing them the, the 3D glasses. What do they call The virtual things. And, and the reactions of these people and all kinds of different religions are um, uh, they're from different ones you know and I was just watching them and watching their reaction watching how they talk and they were all soft spoken very kind very gentle people in spite of their religion we sometimes think well you know never mind what we think and it really spoke to my heart it was these poor people these poor people, they're stuck in those religions, they're stuck in those things, and they don't know Jesus Christ. These are nice people. What are they? They're nice. Nice people. We should think about that often, folks. You think about the people you work with, you think about the people you meet on a daily basis, the people at the, in the grocery store or wherever, and the opportunities that God gives to us to share the gospel, give them a track or speak a word for Christ, you know. We need to have our hearts exercised to see that these people, even though we don't uh, uh, like what they do or whatever, but Jesus Christ died for their sins too, did he not? Amen. He did, for the sins of the whole world, okay? 
And he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Anyways, <clears throat> to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, those that are in heaven right now, it's their spirit. Where's their bodies? They're in the ground. They're in the ground. When Christ comes back in the sky, he's going to give us a, uh, uh, what do you call it? That, uh, that new, uh, uh, new body, a body like his. Resurrected. Resurrected body, thank you. <laughs> Resurrected body, yes. Um, and to the spirits of uh, just men made perfect. Okay. And to Jesus, the mediator, he's the go-between. If you go even way back to Genesis, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Back to Genesis, uh, uh, Cain and Abel. Abel brings a lamb out of the flock. That lamb was his mediator. The word mediator literally means a go-between. Between man and God, you can't get there. You've got to have a go-between, something that deals with your sins. That lamb for Abel, it was a, a symbol. It was God says, you do that, and we will, we will uh, let's say transfer. That's not the right word. That lamb will uh, be the picture of your salvation, uh, its life will be taken, and the blood will be shed, and uh, that will be your go-between. A lot of people don't understand that Jesus Christ, the mediator, he's the go-between. He's the go-between between man and God Almighty. You need him. You can't get there yourself. You need Jesus Christ. And the Father says, I am pleased with what my Son has done with the cross, with his death, burial, and resurrection. There it is. You accept that, I'll accept you. Basically. Um, <clears throat> verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better things than that of Abel. Uh, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. That refuse means to deny or renounce. Now there's the problem that some of the Hebrews had. They were right on the edge of renouncing Christianity of turning away, of denying and renouncing and going back to their old ways. The Lord's just trying to convince them, no, you don't. You need to take a step forward by faith and trust and believe in Christ. See that ye not refuse him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, the Spirit of God or God himself speaking to to. Uh, uh, the individuals. And when you read the Bible, when you hear the Bible, you are hearing the voice of God. When you witness to someone, that person may actually be hearing the Spirit of God using your voice to speak to them. Isn't that something? Yeah. Wow, that's really something, eh? See that you refuse him not. He talks about the voice of God, verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. Then shook the earth at Sinai. I think he's referring to here. But now he has promised, saying, Once more, I shake not the earth only, but heaven also. And we have that. You're writing things down. Read Luke 21, Luke 20, chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And Joel chapter 2, verse 31. All these things talk about when Jesus Christ had come back in the clouds and God's going to shake the 
earth and he's going to shake the heavens and the heavens are going to roll up like a scroll and he's going to change everything and he's going to call the believers out and off the earth before this takes place. He says, yet once more I shake not the earth only but also heaven. Can you imagine we have our, um, our dog Dexter um, He's a cross between a, a boxer and an American Bulldog. And one of the things he really, really likes to do, and it's in his genes, to get hold of something and just shake it. Just shake it. I mean, that's what they were bred for, for hunting. You grab hold of something and just tear it to pieces. Shake, shake it. And he likes to play with the rope. And I, I get one in. I got scars on my hands. And he jumps up. And I'm not quick enough. He didn't mean to. And he jumps. And he'll jump in the air. And he just shake. He's about 100 pounds, and he's got big, thick muscles in his neck for shaking. I've had my arm dislocated from him shaking. I didn't have my muscles tensed. He will shake. It's an awful thing, folks. Could you imagine if God Almighty says, I'm going to shake the earth? Whoa. It's not like this little wee doggy like that. God's going to shake the earth and the heavens. You say, oh, it's in there. And all those verses I just gave you, I'll talk about it. This is the end times he's talking about. He said, you see, the thing is, you folks are not, uh, the Hebrews were not certain in their, uh, um, in their salvation. They hadn't trusted in Christ. They were given, they were shown, they had tasted, but they're about to go back. And you know, this life is going to be over sometime soon. We're all going to die at some time. And at some point, God is going to shake the earth and the heavens. He's going to change everything. It's going to be all done. This old world, the way it's run, the way things are done, it's all going to be gone. Jesus Christ is going to, be, is going to come back and he's going to rule things and order things the way he wants it to be. God's going to turn everything kind of like back into the Garden of Eden. He's going to shake the earth. He's saying to them, you're not thinking far enough down the road. People say, oh, I'll get saved later in life. Maybe you won't. How do you know you're going to be alive tomorrow, bud? You don't know that. You're not thinking far enough down the road. You've got to think further. God's going to do these things. This is the Word of God. And verse 27, and this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. Now, the shaken... Shake and shaken is mentioned here about five different times in this in this topic, this paragraph, these paragraphs here. The removing of those things that are shaken. Now you talked about earlier about uh, um, things that are visible and things that are invisible. Okay, the removal of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. He's going to shake and change everything visible, the earth. The planets, the uh, stars, everything's going to be changed. How could he do that? He's God. That's all. He's just God. And the things that can't be seen. I like what uh, that one fellow said. I forget who it was. I can't remember. It was uh, uh, talking to people in evangelism. And he says, uh, and people say, well, I don't believe in God, and so on and so forth. And the guy says, um, do you know everything there is to know? Of course, no, I don't. Well, let's just say you know half of everything there is to know. Okay? We'll give you that. You know half of everything there is to know. Do you think it's possible that God lives in the half that you don't know anything about? 
Mm. You see, we're dealing with them, people they understand only what they see and this physical around about us. There's a whole other realm of things, a whole sphere of things, the supernatural, the spirit world, God and the angels and such that we don't see. Mm. And he's going to shake all this, the visible earth and the invisible is going to be the norm for us. That's what's going to happen. And that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. See, there's some of the promises. We have this. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God accept, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. When we consider these things, and he's saying to the Hebrews, you need to consider these things. Yes, at Mount Sinai, it was a fearful, fearful thing for the people. But you're not coming to that. You're coming to Zion. You're coming to the heavenly Jerusalem, the home of God, the home of the, the believers, and so on and so forth. It's going to be brought down. He's going to change everything. And yet God is still to be treated with reverence and godly fear. They were not treating him with reverence and godly fear, and they were not living in an acceptable way before God, because they were about to <clears throat> trample upon the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ, and etc., etc., and they were going to go back. And we just take these couple verses at the end, or all these ones here, it talks about the, the immensity of God, and the, uh, the respect and reverence that people should have for Him. Godly fear. And serve God acceptably, he says. And then he says, at the, at the, at, wraps this section up by saying, verse 29, For our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Now let's just stop and think about that for a minute. And we'll, we'll just use that as our closing, our, our conclusion. Our God is a consuming fire. See, there's a picture here. What I often mention about pictures in nature, right? The sun is a picture of Jesus Christ himself upon the scene. And when he goes off the scene, then you have the moon, which is a picture of the church that shines in the darkness of the world, but only shines from the light given to it from the, from the sun when it's gone down over there, but it still reflects. And everything out there, the colors, the green talks about renewal. The blue sky is about the... Uh, that time where he said to them to make the borders of their garments in blue so that when they moved and everything they did, they'd see those blue borders and they would remember the word of God and remember God himself. And the trees, the different kinds of trees, deciduous and evergreen, won't get into it all. It means something. You ever stop and look at fire? People are fascinated at, at fire, aren't they? Absolutely fascinating. It says here that God is a consuming fire. Let's just look at that for a minute. Fire is represented as a symbol of God's presence. Okay? It's a picture in nature. But there's two aspects of it here we just want to, want to just talk about this morning. Fire is represented as a symbol of God's presence and the instrument of His power in the way of approval or destruction. Now, there's uh, some verses here, Exodus 3, verse 2, and Exodus 14, verse 19, etc., etc. There could not be a better symbol, or I call them pictures in nature. And never look on fire the same way again. There could not be a better symbol 
from God himself than this, of fire, it being immaterial. And that God is a spirit, right? And it is kind of mysterious, isn't it? You just stop and look. I was watching one day, They over here they do all kinds of stuff over there. They burn up some of their old uh, uh, the pallets and stuff. And you watch the fire going up. What is it? How would you describe it to somebody? It's kind of mysterious. Okay? It's kind of mysterious. But it is visible. And yet, you can't grab hold of it. It can be warming and cheerful for those that are approaching it properly, using it properly. It can be comforting. But fire can also be terrible and consuming. Remember, it's a picture of God. When you get out there and you see you got a, a wood stove, you got your campfire, you see a fire, it's a picture of what God is like. These ones that were in danger here were not um, experiencing the warming, cheering, comforting aspect of the fire of God, of God himself. But they were in that place where they were going to find out about the terribleness of it, the consuming fire. That's God. People don't think about that. They think of God as the God of my imagination. Here in the Bible it describes God. One of the things about him is just that. <clears throat> Parallel with this application of fire, and with its symbolic meaning, is to be noted that the similar uh, use of fire for sacrificial purposes. Okay? It's used in sacrifice. Fire for uh, sacred purposes obtained elsewhere than from the altar in the Old Testament was called strange fire. And you remember what happened to Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange fire. They were punished with death by the fire of God. In Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2, and Numbers 3 and 4, and so on and so forth. Fire. God is not one to trifle with. Fire is nothing to trifle with. Fire is nothing to, to mess around with. Right. Neither is God, and fire is a symbol of what God is like. Okay? People today, it seems, I don't know their hearts, I can't see them, you can't either, but it just seems today that people don't respect or fear God. You know that? They just, and there's one of the big problems we have. They say, oh, there isn't even a God. And they're told, and, and kids are taught in schools that there is no God. And we all came to be by, by something that is nothing. You know? Now, we were talking earlier about looking at people and seeing their, probably their end. The punishment for these ones that don't respect God and I don't say this in, in any kind of a mocking way or anything like that, but it will be to the everlasting fires of the lake of fire. And we've already talked about the earth will be burnt up. God's going to get rid of this whole system. God is to be feared. God is to be respected. God is to be loved. God is to be acknowledged. And he's shown his love for us with the cross of Calvary, with the Christ, his Son on the cross. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
God manifest in the flesh on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ went through the fires of the wrath of the punishment of God for sin, paid for your sins and my sins and everybody's sins on that cross. He met with the fires of God, if you could put it that way, to pay the penalty of our sins. He died and rose again. When the Bible tells us, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's the love of God at Calvary in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the love of God for us, for all people. Amen. Remember, God is not to be trifled with. The Bible says He's not to be mocked. Today, the door of forgiveness, the day of salvation is open to any that would trust in Christ. The day's open. One day, perhaps, we don't know when, perhaps soon, I don't know, a door will close. And the wrath of the consuming fire of God will come upon the earth. But even in that revelation, he sees mercy too. Let's just finish it this way. To the sinner, if anybody's listening that has not trusted in Jesus Christ, like maybe one of the Hebrews who've been enlightened, you just haven't accepted in your heart. You've got the head knowledge, I know about him. It's not in your heart. You need to believe in and trust in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for your sins, forgiveness. You need to do that now because you may not live the rest of this day out, will you? We don't know, do we? You don't know. There's no other way. God accepts only what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for your sins. He doesn't accept your, your baptism, your church membership, your, how many times you go to church. He doesn't. He says, I accept what my son Jesus Christ has done, this is what I have done for you. Okay? For your forgiveness of sins. For the sinner, you need to trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. To the believer, the Bible says that we need to love God with all of our heart. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 talks about and explains that. The first thing about loving God is to accept Christ. We've accepted Christ as Savior. I mean, there's a love for God right there. We must be careful of the numbing effect of the world upon us. The world and its sins upon us. We must be very careful of that. Let's just finish up. I just want to read these verses. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace now, Lord. Thank you that we can just look into the Bible and see these things, Lord. Uh, we thank you for these things. We just pray that you'd help us understand and accept. And uh, Lord, uh, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. And let anybody could be saved. Maybe somebody listening today. We'll trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for your grace and thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. And those on Christian Coffee Time, thanks for watching with us. And we'll be back next week.